Well, friends, uh, I'm so excited to continue this sermon series. Uh, we are talking about the big story. We're going through Ephesians, and today's, uh, this is not a typo, but the name of the sermon series is The Big Story. And the name of today's sermon is also The Big Story, because we want to talk about what that is. We don't want to tease you anymore. We just want to get right into it, what this whole year is about, what this whole theme is about. And it is about not a small story, but a big story. I don't know about you, but love a good story you do uh, maybe you like telling stories. Anyone telling stories? Enjoy telling stories. Maybe you're telling stories because you're like very good. And this is the thing. It's not always good either. Not story is going to be a home. As you find that the that you t- hear stories, right? It's John 3.16. You know, but you have heard that the whole story of Jesus was, the whole point was for him to die, that you can believe in him and that you get to go to heaven, right? Now, so maybe the story that you've been hearing about uh, uh, about, uh, you know, the gospel, maybe there might be a story, uh, it's like a story about grace, right? Grace is the concept of getting things that you don't deserve, right? We're called Living Grace Ministry. It's, it's a great thing, right? Maybe it's a story about love, right? God so loved the world, right? Maybe it's a story about faith, Right? I, I believe in God. These are three general words, right? Words that seem to pop up a lot in scripture. And then we've got this fourth word, kingdom. It's kind of a weird word. We don't really know what to make of it, right? We usually think that this word just means heaven, right? But what do you think would happen if we looked at the entire gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we try to see how many times do these words appear, right? So I wanted to show you by a font size, okay, how many verses these words appear. Grace, love, faith, and kingdom, all right? So, so by the font size, right, do you, does this make sense, right? Like in PowerPoint, I typed in a font size for each one of these words based on how many times it appears. And so this will give you a sense of how many times this appears in the gospel. So it looks like this, right? So now, the word love is a very general word, right? I mean, the word love can appear in the Bible. It does appear a lot, right? It appears more than faith. It's a very general word because you could be like, don't love money, and that appears in the Bible, right? We counted every single instance of that. And even still, it's not even half of kingdom, right? Or, yeah, it's not even half. It's 152 if you double that, right? So grace appears only in three verses, only in the Gospel of John. Love appears 76 times. Faith appears 60 times. Kingdom appears 154 times. Right? Do you guys remember all of those parables in the Bible? Right? All those parables that Jesus tells? And usually it goes something like this. The kingdom of God is like a man trying to sell his field or something like that, right? The kingdom of God is like workers going out into a a field and working, right? There's so many times where Jesus is teaching us about this one concept, right? Now, so this is the thing, brothers and sisters. If Jesus' central message is the kingdom of God, I think we need to understand it, right? Now, for many of us, we think the kingdom of God is going to heaven after you die. But Jesus' central message about the kingdom, his most consistent message about it, is the kingdom of God is at 
hand. The kingdom of God has arrived. It's right here. This is the thing, brothers and sisters. If Jesus' message was the kingdom of God is what you get after you die, no one would have cared. Because people already believed in that. People already believed in a kingdom that comes after you die, right? His central message is the kingdom of God is now. And for most of the people, what they were waiting for was a revolution, right? And so most people already, when they hear the word kingdom, they would have associated with the now, right? This is what Jesus was talking about. This is why people got excited, because they believed that he was bringing this reality that they were waiting for. Okay, now there's a lot of stuff about the kingdom. What does this have to do with us and big stories and little stories? This is one of the, the, the things. Okay, so I just want you to think about this, right? What does it take to have a kingdom? Okay, people, right? Now, I was expecting you to say king. Yeah, Tiuska has heard my sermons before. <laughs> it's true. You need a king, but if you only have a king, it's a pretty lonely kingdom. Usually in a kingdom, you have people, right? You have lots and lots of people, right? It is about the rule of God, the reign of God. You know, it's a very, very lonely kingdom if no one is in there, right? So brothers and sisters, what I think has happened in scripture is we have misunderstood the idea of kingdom. The reign of God, the central story that, that, that uh, Jesus came to tell, that God came to bring about in us, and we are living a much, much smaller story. Now, I already told you, you know, for God so loved the world that uh, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have eternal life. That's in the Bible, John three sixteen, right? It's definitely in there. But this is the problem. What a lot of us have done in the Bible is that we have taken the Bible, and it's a very big book, right? And instead of understanding what the big story is, there's lots and lots of stories in it, right? Lots and lots of verses. And this is what people have done. People say things like, the Bible is absolutely inspired. And what we think that means is that the Bible is equally inspired, right? So any verse you point to in the Bible will be equally as inspired as any other one, right? Now, what this has done is it has risen to something that we call proof texting. So what has happened is that you can take a verse in the Bible and prove a point. You can prove almost anything by saying that it's in the Bible, right? But there's a lot of things in the Bible, right? How much sense does it take uh, to take a story like, you know, Harry Potter or something like that? And you just take one line from Harry Potter. You're like, that's part. Harry Potter went to the bathroom. I don't know, right? There's probably not in there. But, (laughs) you know, Harry went to sleep. And that's as important as Harry defeated Voldemort. Spoiler alert, right? Which verse is more important, right? Brothers and sisters, We treat the Bible this way. We talk about the Bible being inspired as if it's equally inspired. But I don't believe anyone actually thinks that. You know why? Because I've never, ever heard a sermon on Zephaniah. Right? Haven't you noticed you hear certain passages get preached on more than others? Aren't they all equally inspired? Right? Brothers and sisters, if we actually believe this, you know, then you would take Old Testament things 
and put it up against Jesus's life and say, equally important. We know that's not true, right? We know that's not true because one came after the other. One is superseding it. In other words, one is completing it. You can't take something as the problem and say that is equally important. This is usually why people have problems with the Bible, right? Because you take things and you say they're all equally inspired. I'll give you an example. This actually just happened. Maybe you guys heard about this a couple weeks ago. There's a woman who uh, is like, uh, I think she's like, uh, like owns a wedding venue. And there was an interracial couple, right? A black man, white woman, or something like that, or some combination of that. And they came to have a wedding at her venue. And she said, no, you can't have a wedding here. You know what her reason was? She said, because it says it in the Bible. Because of my Christian values, I will not marry an interracial couple. Is that in the Bible, brothers and sisters? How many people think that's in the Bible? That you cannot marry somebody of a different race. No one wants to raise their hand. (laughs) I see one person going like, "Mm, kind of. So this is what is in the Bible, brothers and sisters. There are times where the Israelites were told not to marry people of different nations. Now, by the way, there were exceptions to this all the time. You guys know Ruth? She's a great-grandmother of of David. She is not an Israelite, right? You know Moses, right, the great prophet of Israel? He married someone who is not an Israelite. Um, by the way, probably a black woman. It happens all the time in the scripture. But there are some verses where God says, do not marry people of the other nations, right? So if you take that one verse and you say, look, Bible equally inspired, that's as important as John 3.16. That's what people do. Equally inspired, right? Don't marry someone from another nation. And then you put that up against all the other stuff that says about love and inclusion. And you say they're the same. And then we're confused. Like, what the heck? What is this Bible about? Right? It's something that we call proof texting. You have a point that you want to prove. And so you go searching in the Bible to find a a verse to back it up. And the Bible is really long. So usually you can find something that sounds kind of like what you want to prove. Right? Have you ever gotten in a Bible war with someone where you're trying to prove a point? And so what you do is you're like, hey, it says in the Bible, blah, 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 blah. And then you spit it out and they're like, yeah, but it also says in the Bible, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, yeah, good point, but I found another verse that says, blah, 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 blah. Right? So all you're doing is you're Google searching, right? <laughs> the terms that you want to see, right? And then what you're doing is you're proof texting. Does that make sense? Do you guys understand that? I'll give you another example of this. So, um, I had youth group parents who, like, uh, so this, this is kind of my fault because I had a roommate in, in seminary. I don't have any tattoos, but I had a roommate in seminary who went to Cambodia and got tattooed on his arm, uh, this Bible verse in Cambodian. And uh, I used to bring my, my discipleship students over to my house. Like, we'd have a sleepover, play video games all night. And so my roommate was there, and they saw his tattoos, and they're like, that's so cool, right? And so they wanted to get tattoos, too. And so I had all these angry youth group parents coming up to me and pointing at the Bible, right? In Leviticus, it says, you shall not mark your flesh, right? And I was like, hey, can can I see that for a second? Look at the verses before and after that. It also says you can't eat cheeseburgers. Do you eat cheeseburgers? It also says that you can't mix fabrics, right? Is that pure soap that you're wearing, right? (laughs) By the way, the whole thing about marking your flesh, do you understand the context of that? 
It's talking about people worshiping other gods. That was part of their ritual, to worship another god. These guys wanted to put scripture verses on their arms, right? It's definitely not worshiping another god, right? There may be many reasons not to get a tattoo. You know, it doesn't look professional or whatever. Just, I don't want you to get a tattoo. You're 17. You live in my house. But the Bible shouldn't be one of them, right? That's what we call proof texting, right? I mean, you could have somebody who comes up here and gives a sermon and says, thou shall not mark your flesh. All of you guys who who have tattoos, you're against God, right? Because it says it in the Bible, because it says it in the Bible, because it says it in the Bible. Brothers and sisters, that's assuming that everything in the Bible is equally inspired, equally important, right? I'm not saying that it's not true. That's not what I'm saying. But you can't give equal weight to everything in the Bible, just like you can't give equal weight to everything in Harry Potter. Does that make sense? So there might be passages that, that hint the greater conflict in Harry Potter. You know, it tells you about Harry's struggle against Voldemort. You're like, okay, that's what this story is really about, right? And so what I am aiming to do is try to give you a bigger picture for what the story is actually about. Because I think what we have done is we have kind of proof-texted faith. We have a version of Christianity now that is telling the story of this world rather than the story of God's kingdom. And what has resulted from that is many of us are following our own stories. We proof-texted the gospel, right? So this is what we did. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the story of this world. The story of this world, if I could put it into one big word, is hyper-individualism. Hyper-individualism. That's the story of Western civilization, right? You get to be your own god. You live your own life. You, You look out for number one. Right? You go and get yours. That's what the story is about for a lot of us. Go get mine. Go get yours. Worry about yourself. Right? And it's a very individualistic thing. And so the Bible used to be, and the story of God used to be about the people of God. Right? The body of Christ. We're interconnected. But over the last 500 years, we've had way more emphasis on individual salvation. I'm saved by grace. I'm saved by faith, right? So we think this is the story, that the whole point of the Bible is that Jesus died for my sins as an individual. You probably heard that, right? It's true. He died for your sins. He also died for your sins and your sins and your sins and your sins. He died for everyone's sins. But we make the emphasis about us, right? And we think that that is the main part of the story. That's it. That's it. So I used to ask this question when I was in youth group. Okay, so what do I do after I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior? And they're like, well, be thankful. I'm like, okay, great. I'm really thankful. That's great. I get to go to heaven. But I'm 12 years old. Right? What am I going to do for the rest of my life? Well, just go do good Christian things. What if I don't want to do good, good Christian things? What if I want to live selfishly? This is the genius, brothers and sisters. This is what people did. They took a big story and made it really small. And they made it fit the story we were already living. Remember, what is Jesus' main message? 
The kingdom of God is here. Here. Right here. You know what we made the message? The kingdom of God is after you die. So this is what we did effectively. You can live however you want. As long as you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can be as selfish as you want. You can be as uh, you know, focused on your career as you want. You can accumulate all the stuff you want. And you get to go to heaven after you die. We make the kingdom of God in the afterlife, after your life. Meaning there's no impact on your life now. Now, I, I, I spent a lot of time on that. So let's take a look at what the big story is. Remember last week, we got so excited last week. Uh, we wanted to read ahead, so we did. So we actually read this last week. But I want you to see the implication of this. How this flies in the face of the little story we have all been living. So it says, making known to us, he made known to us, this is part of a big run-on sentence, he made known to us the mystery of his will. What is the will of God? What, what is the purpose, right? Uh, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. This is it. This is the big story. This is the will of God. This is what he's trying to accomplish in all of human history is this. To unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. That's the big story. That's not a story you can live by yourself. Right? Now, this is the big sell I'm trying to make this this year. This whole sermon series, it's really about this, brothers and sisters. You know, a lot of us are, are, you know, wandering around this earth trying to figure out what is my purpose? What is my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? And I'm trying to tell you that if God has a plan, if, if he has a will for your life, then I think the way that you will live the biggest story possible, the most fulfilling life, the most meaningful life, is by hooking up your story with his story. Right? Right? Now, this is usually what we mean by that question. What what, what am I supposed to do with my life? What what, what is the purpose of my life? It's a very individual question, right? What if your story is actually enmeshed in other people's story? What if your story is not a solitary story? What if it's something much, much, much bigger? Now, brothers and sisters, if this is the case, then a Christian who is living only the small story, like this, Jesus died for my sins, screw everyone else. I, I know, I'm using harsh language on purpose. Screw everyone else, who cares what happens to them? I got mine. That doesn't make sense if this is the big story. That makes sense in the little story, right? You can say stuff like that. You'd be like, well, Jesus died for my sins. I'm going to heaven. But if the plan is for all things to be united to Christ, right? What does it look like to be united to Christ? Can can I show you something here? So this is Christ. Um, Tiuska, Esteban, David, can you guys come up for a second? Right? So we are trying to unite to Christ. Right? You come to church, you're trying to live a good life. Right? All of us, we're trying to unite to Christ. So this is Christ. Unite to Christ, guys. Let's do it. Unite to Christ. Like, be connected to Christ. Do it. 
All right. Everyone united to Christ. All right. Uh, let's see, Josh, you want to unite to Christ too? All right. Come unite to Christ. All right. Awesome. Janet, you want to come unite to Christ? Come unite to Christ. Okay. Now, the more we get people united to Christ, what are you going to notice about our proximity to each other? We get closer, right? But I don't like other people. I just want my individual Christianity. and It doesn't work. When we unite to Christ, we unite to each other. Amen? Amen. All right, let this mental image soak in for two more seconds. (laughs) Now you can sit down. All right, thank you guys. Good job. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, so these are oxymorons. A lonely Christian. A lonely Christian. A selfish Christian. A hateful Christian. Doesn't make sense. Again, if that little story that's just about Jesus died for my sins and I get to go to heaven after I die, then you can actually be a lonely Christian. You can actually be a hateful Christian. You can actually be an unloving Christian. But if this is the big story, when I unite to Christ, I also am uniting to other people. I'm uniting to this bigger story. Then that is something that I think is really exciting. Things look different. Now, brothers and sisters, now let's examine the little story that a lot of us are living. The little story is... You go figure out your individual purpose. You go find your individual pleasure. You go find your individual good. And everyone's got to figure out what that is for themselves. And if you do that, then you're going to be somehow happy and fulfilled. How's that working out for us? This is the story we've been living for about 500 years in Western civilization. How's that working out for us? I'll just tell you, in the last 30 years, they have found that Americans are about twice as lonely as they were just 30 years ago. If you ask people today, almost half of all people say they are profoundly, chronically lonely. You know who's the loneliest? LGM. Just kidding. (laughs) But I'm kind of not. Because most of the people, not everyone, I know we got some veterans here, silver hairs, right? But a lot of you are ages 16 through 24. It's the loneliest age. Do you know that? It's supposed to be the most connected. You're in school, you're in college, you're around all these people, right? You got all these uh, social media. I mean, come on, it's social media, right? It's not personal media. It's supposed to be connecting you to other people. And we find that people are profoundly, cripplingly lonely. I, I, I can see it in your eyes. You guys are feeling me, right? You guys know that. There are so many of us who feel so alone and so isolated from each other. I I heard the story David Brooks tells about a woman who um, was from another country. She didn't grow up in the U.S., but she and her husband were very well-to-do. They bought a house in Southern California in a very nice neighborhood. And one night, she was looking for her son, and she couldn't find him. And she's like, son, son, where are you? And she, she couldn't find him anywhere. Looks upstairs, downstairs, they had a really big house. She looked in the lawn. And then she starts, I mean, it's like 10 o'clock at night. And she's running up and down the street yelling her son's name like a crazy person. At the top of her lungs, she's yelling her son's name. Can't find him. 
And eventually, uh, one, one of the members of the family is like, like, Mom, 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 come inside. He, we found them. So he had wandered into a room that no one really goes into, and he just kind of fell asleep in that room, right? And so he was fine. The next morning, she's, uh, you know, walking to her car, and one of her neighbors is like, hey, uh, 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 was something happening last night? Because uh, uh, you were, like, screaming really loud. And uh, did someone die? Is everyone okay? And so she's like, yeah. Everyone's okay. I found my son, but I couldn't find my son. And so this is the thing. She was like, back in my country, in my village, if that had, ha- had happened in my village, every single person would have come out and been looking for her son. But in America today, we prize above all else what? Individualism. You're on your own. Well, we don't want to intrude, right? I mean, that just would be rude, right? She wants to yell at 10 o'clock in, at night, go ahead. No one ever thought to say, what's wrong? Can I help you? Right? This isn't just an isolated thing. This isn't just this woman's story. This is all of our stories. We look at the fellow human beings around us not as, this is a fellow son and daughter of God who I can connect to in a meaningful way, but we look at them as the competition. (laughs) We look at them as if they're in our way. We look at them as threats. We don't trust our neighbors. What are the two greatest commandments, guys? They are both commandments of connection. Did you know that? The greatest commandments in the Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and love your neighbor as if they were you. Love your neighbor as if they were you. I mean, come on, let's be honest. American Christians, we aren't living that at all. Because there's no one we love more than ourselves. (laughs) There's no life we're more focused on than ourselves. We're not loving other people as if they were us, right? And so this is kind of the question that I'm wondering here at LGM. When you come to LGM, after spending hour and a half, two hours here, Do you feel less lonely? Do you feel more connected to God and to each other, to this bigger story? Because if you don't, I don't know what we're doing. And by the way, it's not just LGM, but just Western Church. Western Church has become like, it's like a, a show, right? People come and you hear music and you hear a sermon. Right? And, and we hope, like, oh man, I hope I get something out of this sermon. I didn't get anything out of the sermon today. I didn't like the praise. That's the little story. I hate everyone here. Right? I don't know what it is. I, you know, you hear people, they say, I love Jesus, but I hate people. Right? We already showed you, you can't connect to God. If you don't connect to other people, can you imagine that you're a parent and let's say you have like 10 kids. You're like, man, I love you guys so much. I love you so much. I love you so much. My whole life is about loving you. And that's all I want is for you to know love. And your, your kids are like, thank you, mom. I love you too. But I hate Brad. <laughs> I hate Susan. She smells. She's selfish. And you've got the most selfish kids ever who just hate each other, who argue about the stupidest things, who are only living for themselves, but they have a great relationship with you. Do you think the parents will be happy with that? Do you think the parents will be like, yes, that's the big plan. Mm. 
right? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. We were wired for this to be a part of something bigger, to really belong. Do you guys remember the early church? It was a radical thing. It was so weird what they did. You had these people who came together and they met every day. You don't see that anymore. People don't meet every day. People are too busy. They met every day and they would take all of their stuff and give it. They would sell it and take the money and be like, hey, do you need some money? Here's some money. They treated each other as if the other person were just as important as them. And the world noticed. The world changed because of that community that was actually one. I, I know that these are weighty things, and, and I think these are things that we want to see more, right? And brothers and sisters, I believe that when you see just little glimpses of people actually connecting to this bigger story, that there's somebody else out there who is also a child of God, and you actually were meant to live and bless each other, and not meant to live these separate individual lives, beautiful things can happen. We, we want to show you a video. It's not particularly a Christian video. It's actually kind of like in the YouTube Hall of Fame. It's like a really old video, I think from like 2005 or 2006. So it's not going to be the greatest quality. But I got to tell you, every time I watch this video, I cry. I, I'm just a softie like that. But, but it, it's, it's about a guy who we actually don't know his real name. But very fittingly, I'm, I, I don't know. If he's not a Christian, he understands the, uh, the kingdom of God because he calls himself one man. He's Australian, by the way. He's not Latino. So that's how we know that's not his real name. What? Australian has the name Juan Man? I don't know. But he, he, he picked the name Juan Man because it's like one man, right? And he was this young guy living in Sydney, Australia, and didn't have any friends, didn't have any community. And he was so lonely that one day he went to a party, and someone came up to him, a total stranger, hugged him. And he said, that changed my life. It was so wonderful. It's like, it's like I won the lottery. It was like the greatest thing that ever happened. So this is what he decided to do. Uh, I think it's like about two minutes in where, um, or maybe it's a minute, I, I don't know, but where, where the, the one guy, he's like, like kind of like, he's got like the longer hair, kind of balding, where he walks by and he passes him and then he like pauses. And it, it's almost like you can see the thought bubble. It's like, yeah, I would like a free hug. And he comes back and he hugs him. You know, brothers and sisters, You know, and by the way, he spawned on, like a worldwide effort. So like they have like free hugs campaigns and different kinds of stuff. Because I think people also feel they're like, damn, I am so lonely. I feel like I'm the only one here. What is the good news that Jesus came to give? Hey, you know what? I came to give you this gift that you get to redeem after you die, and then you won't be lonely. Or is it right now? You can live for something bigger than yourself. Can you imagine if we actually that that was the big story? The big story was for you to find out what is my part to play. My part is going to be different than your part. My the goal of my Christian life isn't to just get mine spiritually. I get to go to heaven, but to be. Loved by God, to love God, and to love each other. To see the brokenness in this world, 
those things that divide us and fracture us and that don't make us one and say, how can I be a part of healing this? You hear many people, you know, I, there's, there's so many stories, there's too many stories to tell about people who live these, the, the life that, you know, the world tells us to live. I, I have a really good friend who, he's, he's a professor, uh, he got tenure, which means he's like set for life. Well, maybe some professor would be like, not quite set for life, but, <laughs> you know, he's like, like that's, that's what so many professors are trying to get. He got tenure, and then he was able to buy his own house, and he was at this really good place. He was like starting to get some fame and prestige, and he told me the first night he went home, after buying that house and getting tenure, he looked around his house, and he's like, I don't have anyone to share this with. What is it all worth? if we don't get to do it together. And there might be some of us that maybe aren't living the version that this world is telling us to live. You know people like this, but they're living for other people. They're trying to find the brokenness in this world, and they're trying to find, how can I be God's instrument to bring unity and wholeness to people who are broken? And those people are so if the world is, if the story that this world was telling is true, then America would be the happiest country on earth because we're the richest. It's not. It's not. Not even close. Because we are so disconnected. When you give, when you live for others, when you are connected to the larger story that Jesus is trying to live, I got so caught up with you know telling you that that main story. We didn't even get to the other scripture. But I just want to assure you, there's, there's one part where it talks about, it says that we haven't redeemed the full inheritance yet. It says that you have the Holy Spirit that seals a promise for you. And for many of us who are living this plan, living this life, some of you may be thinking, but Pastor Steve, I can't do it all on my own. What good is it if I live for others and other people live selfishly? And for one, I think you'll come alive. I think you'll come alive because you'll be living a bigger story. But number two, I think we have the assurance. This is where we're headed. This is where God is going with all the creation. He wants to unite us, not to divide us. And there is this sense of the Holy Spirit that when you live this kind of life, a uniting life, not a dividing life, a together life, not a lonely life, that there's something within you. And you guys all have felt it before. You have all felt that you are a part of something bigger. There's something within you, in your soul, that just clicks. You're like, this is right. This is good. That's the Holy Spirit showing you that greater plan that we are all supposed to live. It's not always sunshine and roses. And we're going to be talking the next couple weeks. Next week, we're going to be talking about sin and grace. I mean, we're, we're going to go after it. The scripture doesn't, you know, mince words. It's hard. There's brokenness. There's real problems. There's real things that divide us. Let's not undercut that, right? But at the same time, there is hope because you are not doing this alone. The Holy Spirit wants this. Jesus wants this. This is the goal of the kingdom of God. God is above it all. This is what he's trying to bring about. That's what I want to Come up. Let's just take a moment to pray. I, I want to ask you guys to, to pray two things. 
just one, you know, maybe if you just want to kind of reflect on, on um, you know, as the praise team's coming up, I'm going to ask you something that, that's not going to be much of a risk, and then I'm going to ask you to do something that will be a little bit of a risk. So first things first, this one's easy. Let's just take a moment to just, you know, if, if you want to, if, if you're okay with this, you know, it's not take, it doesn't take much of a risk, but if you guys can close your eyes and just, could you just put your hands up and just believe that God is trying to connect you to his, his life. We sang that song about the love of God, right? Oh, how he loves us. He loves us like a hurricane. He loves us relentlessly, furiously. And to just believe in your heart that as you're reaching out your hands, as your hands are open, that the hands of God are reaching out to you. You're not alone. Brothers and sisters, I want you to hear this. You are not alone. So many times we're out there in the workforce. We're out there studying. We're out there competing. We're out there trying to figure out our lives. You are so alone. You are not alone. Jesus died for you. Yes, he did die for you. He died for all of us. It's a beautiful story. It's a story that tells us that we can be and must be connected to something greater than us. Now I'm going to ask you to do something if you want to, if you're comfortable with this, you can just reach out your hands and either just lightly touch the arm of someone next to you. Or if you're not okay with that, just put your arm, put your hand close to their arm. It doesn't necessarily need to touch. But could you reach out and just connect to someone else? Could you just take a moment, and you may not know this person, you may think you know this person, but maybe you don't know all of their hurts and hopes. You don't know all that they're going through. Can you just bless them? Can you just pray for them? Can you pray this? God, may they connect to your story. May they know that they're not alone. May they know that they're not alone. Brothers and sisters, what if this is church, what church was like? We blessed each other and we let people know that we're not alone. Can you just pray that for this person? God, I pray that they will know that they're not alone. We will pray that they know the love of God. We'll pray blessing on them. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. We can just pray that sincerely for the person next to you. Let's just take a moment and Lord God, I just want to pray for this brother that he will know that he's not alone. He's never been alone. that you are trying to connect us to. We do not have to be alone. You do not want us to live alone. You want us, God, to bless one another, to heal one another, to live for one another. Thank you, God, that you have broken your own body 
so that our bodies can be healed. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.